I was hoping the answer would be no, because um, uh, I'm going to delve into a few things that I just don't, I just think are interesting. I just said that to Okay, good, good, good. Well, um, uh, it, it, if I get too far down, I, I went, I've, I've gone down several rabbit holes for what I'm going to talk about today, um, and, and I, I just got fascinated with, the, with Greek philosophy. Uh, we forget that Paul was a Greek, right? Paul read Plato. Paul read Socrates. Um, Paul uh, grew up uh, learning at the feet of Gamaliel, who was a classically trained Sadducee. Um, and, he, and he was learning that Aristotle was saying that there are four elements, are there fire and water? Oh, and something else called ether uh, that sort of explains what's the, what's the stuff in between the stuff. Um, and Paul, Paul wrote half of the New Testament. Um, and, uh, and much, and we all know that there's a lot of Greek plays and Greek philosophy that has just been lost to antiquity. Um, some of it wound up in monasteries in Ireland. Um, but there's been a lot that's been lost. Uh, but a lot of people seem to think that some of the some of the references that Paul throws into his letters are just kind of how people talk. The way that we throw in a Shakespearean reference, even if we don't know it's a Shakespearean reference, but a lot of things that he said was just like, oh, you, you, you know, when I throw out this phrase, that this was something that uh, that was said in uh, in the Areopagus uh, when when philosophers were. We're barking at each other about about different things, um, and I just find that I find that interesting because we are descendants of Greek philosophy. I mean, that's where democracy was born, um, uh, and 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 Greek thought and what we call Western thought uh, goes back to goes back to the Greeks, and that was the waters that that Paul was swimming in. Um, so, anyway, we're going to get to that. I like to start off with just some interesting things that I read this week, or I looked at this week. Um, <clears throat> this was the anniversary of the first dialysis machine. Um, back in 19, I'm going to say 50, but I can't remember the exact date. It was a long time ago. Big, giant machine, big, life-saving thing. Uh, and uh, uh, and it, it made it to where people people could live. Now now they're a little bit more reasonably sized, um, uh, but people still have it. People still need it. Um, and it basically functions as an artificial kidney. It's kind of kind of amazing that an organ, a body, is made up of many parts. Now dot dot dot. Some of those parts are artificial. Um, so I started, what are all the artificial things that, that we can have? That's artificial heart. There are people walking around today with a piece of machinery that, uh, that circulates blood through their system. Um, that is an artificial hand, artificial limb. We've all seen things like that. They've got them to where now they can sense the touch and the sense heat. I didn't know that, I didn't know that you could do that. And so the, the other, the other pictures inside of here, you can almost you can see the little wires going in. They they actually go to nerve receptors that say you are touching something hot, 
with a rather expensive um, <laughs> uh, artificial limb, so stop, get your hand off the stove, or you're gonna, your co-pay's not gonna pay for that. Um, yeah, uh, I, think, I think that's amazing. That is a, it, under development, an artificial lung um, that, uh, that will help circulate. Uh, you wear it in a backpack, and it brings oxygen in, and it is oxygen transfer uh, into the bloodstream, and uh, and it puts oxygenated water, uh, oxygenated blood, back into your back into your bloodstream. Um, so one of the things we're going to talk about in a couple of weeks is that at what point of artificialness do we cease to become a human being? At what percentage? Fifty-one percent. Um, you know, if it's you can't be a you, you, well, you know, you can't live without a heart. So, um, and and then when you start getting into uh, uh, your brain and and having an artificial intelligence and, and things like that, it really makes for some fascinating conversations um, that I don't know the answer to, but I just think it's I think it's fascinating that there are there are there is an artificialness, there's a mechanicness that we can add to our bodies. That will just make us better, right? And make us less dead sometimes. Um, that's always a plus. Uh, so, so the scandal of the day, the scandal of the day is the Houston Astros. Um, if you're keeping up with the drama in Major League Baseball, they got caught adding artificial intelligence to their batters. They were filming what the signs that the catcher was putting down. So that the pitcher would say, oh, "I'm going to throw, a, I'm going to throw a curveball this time." There was a camera in the outfield that would relay that information to this guy right behind the dugout, and he would uh, send a signal. Uh, sometimes, uh, sometimes just banging on a trash can, and sometimes actually uh, with an Apple Watch, and and it would it would beep, and so the batter would know within just a fraction of a second. Or this pitcher who's throwing 100 miles an hour, this time it's going to be a curveball, so I know it's going to be a curveball. Lo and behold, they won the World Series that year. Um, because, because they were doing something artificial. They were cheating to, be, uh, cheating to do that. Now, we would all say that that's cheating, right? We would all say that's cheating. Would we say the same thing if the batter had laser, LASIK surgery to fix his eyesight? You know, he's artificially altering his body to give himself an advantage. Nobody would say that that's cheating. Um, I, I, we, we, won't, we won't discuss the morality of cheating in baseball uh, at church. Um, uh, guilty. Um, but uh, uh, I just think that's, that's a really interesting conversation to have, uh, is uh, what, what is happening in the future. I say all that, because I, I read an article that kept me up a little bit. A surprising breakthrough will allow tiny implants to fix and even upgrade your body. Put tiny little implants that will constantly monitor uh, uh, heart rate, uh, blood pressure, provide a, uh, 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 it, it will provide uh, a notification that you need, to, you need to get treatment for. It's kind of like having a, uh, a constant ongoing physical of your vital signs. And it's just an implant, and and we, that that technology exists uh, already. It's it's there. The uh, the conclusion of the article was any restrictions in one country or another would allow another country 
to gain advantage by creating their own real-life superhuman cyborg citizens. In the same breakthrough, uh, the author admits that a biotechnology on a bionic scale is bound to complicate the range of international phenomena, from economic growth and military confrontations to the Olympics. The technology is already here, and it's just a matter of time before we see clinically viable, implantable devices. As from how society will react, it seems safe to say that some lively debates and growing pains are on the horizon. I imagine that that's true. Um, also, it took me five minutes to read that. Uh, I love it when you see an article and it has right at the beginning. Here's how much of your investment you're going to make. So five minute read on that. Yeah, I read an article that there's a new process that's replacing CRISPR that will do a much better job of splicing it and uh, genes and actually possibly eliminating a lot of diseases. Yeah, yeah. And so CRISPR, CRISPR gene slicing is so 2017 now. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it's the, our, our ability to get into our genetics and fix things is is an amazing and amazingly scary thing. It is an amazing and amazingly scary thing. Well, I ended class last week with a quote from William Jennings Bryan in the context of the Scopes Monkey Trial, where he was trying to speak some wisdom into uh, the science of the day that based off of what he could see, was being used to just find better ways to kill each other. World War I has, had just ended, um, a death on an industrial, uh, continental scale that had never been seen before, and he was saying, you know, your science isn't all it's cracked up to be. Well, going on in the biology world at the same time was this just terrible field called eugenics, where people were saying, you know what, we can, uh, we can, and, and, and you know, you can, if this conversation is happening in the 19-teens and the 1920s, you know that there's people like Hitler and people that he was hanging around with listening to all this stuff about, about well, we can, we can create a race of superhumans, right? Right here. We can create a race of superhumans um, by, by getting rid of undesirable traits. Well, by killing them is obviously incredibly wrong. By gene editing them, it gets a little, it, it just, I don't know. It, it, it's, it's something that we as Christians cannot withdraw from. We, we cannot withdraw from this conversation. Um, uh, I, I, there was a comment last week after I got through saying something uh, similar to that. Uh, and, and it was pointed out that, um, that the, the scientific community actually has ethics boards. Um, you know, there, there are things that, uh, that, that people can get in trouble for. And even in China, there was somebody who got who was doing some cloning work uh, back a year or two ago, and that scientist got in a lot of trouble. And getting in a lot of trouble in China is 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 uh, is quite is, can be a scary thing. And uh, and I just wonder, I wonder if it would have been the 1920s, and uh, and I wonder where China would have been, or, or I wonder where Russia would have, or I wonder where the United States had been getting this power all to themselves. Um, and I'm just glad that we have scientific boards that have a, an ethical review of what people are studying and doing. Um, and I, I would say that the reason that that exists is because there have been Christians saying we need to 
we need to have a voice in this. We need to, we need to be thinking about our smarts in the term in terms of uh, in terms of ethics. About are we making things better uh, for each other? Uh, a little bit of gear shift. Uh, I always read articles about water. Uh, I saw one that the Colorado River is uh, uh, it consistently over the past hundred years is being irrigated to uh, oblivion. Uh, it doesn't make it all the way to the Pacific Ocean now, which is a little bit of a conflict with us in Mexico because they sort of think that the biggest river in the West ought to have some water in it. Um, and it shouldn't be all going to the Bellagio to, to make the fountain. Um, um, which is important, obviously, but uh, uh, but I, I think that's an, that's a that's a sobering thing. I was in Zambia in October. We were working on a water project, um, and uh, and after a few days, we we were about to leave, and we, we stopped off at uh, Victoria Falls just because I'd never I always wanted to see Victoria Falls, which is you know Dr. Livingstone, I presume, and uh, so I wanted to go see it. And we got there, and I was like, Did they forget to turn it on today? <laughs> was it the, is the valve not on? And the truth of the matter is, the valve wasn't on. The, the, there was very little water coming over the falls. It wasn't anything like what you see on a National Geographic episode. Um, because it was all going through a hydroelectric plant. And it was bypassing the falls. And I thought, man, that is just sad. And that's terrible. In fact, why would they do? And I thought, that's pretty clean power, too. And if the choice is people not having electricity, or the choice is burning a bunch of coal or you know having nuclear waste there are there are dirtier options out there and if I don't get to see a pretty falls because of it maybe that's just tough on me I don't I don't know um, but uh, anyway the way the way that we uh, use that uh, use water and use gravity is uh, is amazing we can use water and gravity to, uh, to help people help as well about a, a couple of minute long video that got sent to me this week um, from, a, from Exile International Living Water <coughs> funded a water project uh, in northern Uganda at a school that has about 800 kids at it. Um, it's a school, each of those kids are refugees from southern Sudan and eastern Congo uh, where there's uh, pretty much non-stop fighting. Uh, each of those kids were child soldiers at one at one point, um, you know, 12 and 13 years old, uh, doing that. And just, to, just being able to, uh, they, they were spending a lot of their school time going to get water. They go back to class. And, and you hear the teacher going, get in line and go back to class. Anyway, that was that was a lot of fun. Neither here nor there. Uh, read an article about the last of the woolly mammoths. Uh, the last woolly mammoth died during Bible times. Um, it was alive. They were alive uh, uh, in, in, uh, during the time that, uh, that Exodus was being written. Um, and I think that's amazing. Uh, they, they, found, they found fully intact frozen mammoths who lived on Wrangell Island way up there in the, in the frozen part of, uh, up, up, uh, in the Bering Strait. Uh, and they found, <clears throat> they found woolly mammoths uh, that, that, that had lasted that long. Coincidentally, they lived there, and they, uh, but that's where people were not 
there weren't people there. Um, some of the thinking is is that the extinction of woolly mammoths and the Nashville predators, saber-toothed tiger, and all had to had to do with the uh, with human beings showing up for the first time in the new world, and you had a, a, a whole list of giant mammals that were just giant grocery stores and weren't they weren't afraid of humans because they did not know them, <clears throat> and they wound up being exterminated. Um, let's see. So uh, on Wednesday of this week, maybe Thursday this week, uh, my son was working on a uh, paper about bees, honeybees, and I, I saw an article about how honeybees are smarter than we think we are, so I was like, I'm going to send Ben this, this link, and he's going to be so thankful to get this from this dear old dad. Um, and then after I sent, sent it to him, and it was an interesting article, I don't know if you read it or not, but just a couple of minutes later, he texted back with this uh, with this science has science gone too far and I'm like oh I'm having a meaningful conversation with my son he wants to have a discussion about how science gone too far and you can't really see it but uh, there in the back is just science uh, <laughs> <laughs> thanks Ben that was that was a that was a meaningful conversation that we just had so we'll, we'll move on the same day uh, my sister-in-law sent me uh, this from Richard Rohr, and I'd never, I'd never heard this before, but I love it, and it's, uh, it's really pertinent to, to what we're talking about. My scientist friends have come up with things like principles of uncertainty uh, and dark holes. I guess that's Heisenberg and then black holes, but uh, they're willing to live inside imagined hypotheses and theories, but many religious folks insist on answers that are always true. We love closure, we faith people, love closure, resolution, and clarity while thinking that we are people of, quote, faith. How strange that the very word faith has come to mean its exact opposite. That we have faith only in things that are concrete and never change. But maybe the entire purpose of faith is to have faith that there is something out there that we don't understand and that may be bigger than our brains could grasp. And maybe that's God, and maybe that's some, somewhere in our genetic code. But the fact that um, that the very word faith, uh, we have equated a person of stronger faith as being somebody who is ascribing to something that can never uh, can never change. And I thought that that is a really interesting way to think about it. Um, or dogmatic. Yeah. Yeah, um, I, I mean, science gets, gets accused justifiably so of being dogmatic. It's like, that's the way it is. I've studied this. I've done the research. This is the way it is. Here's my report. Um, but faith ha has the same, uh, the same approach sometimes, many times. But science can be dogmatic also. Oh, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, no, yeah. Very, very dogmatic. Very, very much so. Very much so. Yep. Um, yeah, and, and when, when, the, when, when the two camps of, of uh, when the two camps enter the conversation with I have nothing more to learn, I'm just going to edu educate you, um, that leads to uh, an unproductive conversation. So speaking of uh, unproductive conversations, here's, I, I was thinking about where we might go in class over the next few weeks. Um, and 
and I kept promising that I would do a syllabus. This is still not a syllabus, but this is just to kind of let you know what the arc might be, uh, the places that we're going to go. Uh, I said today we're just going to talk about the New Testament and some of the interesting things that we saw in there. The next week we'll talk about other civilizations, uh, science, uh, and then very recent stuff. And then uh, we're going to spend a couple of weeks uh, talking about uh, some of the some of the very very uh, scary things and exciting things that are uh, that are on the on the horizon with us as as Christians and as human beings. Uh, we're going to talk about miracles for a couple of weeks. Um, we're going to start with I don't know, and we're going to end with I don't know, but we're going to talk about it. Um, I do want to talk about confidence intervals and just how confident we are in the things that we say. Um, and then I want to talk about just spend spend a couple spend a couple of months just talking about uh, science, social issues that are scientific that, that have a scientific and a faith component to them. Um, so the, this this class. As it's unfolding, we're not going to spend as much time talking about uh, how old is the Earth, and uh, and uh, did, was Noah's flood local or was it worldwide? Uh, those are I, those are fun conversations. I know uh, I, I love having them, but I, I want to have conversations about current things like the the population of the Earth and and who is my neighbor and how how can science and faith help with that? Uh, I, I've asked Fletcher if he could help us out thinking about science and faith and the fact that it's all bigger. Uh, than what our brains can grasp. Um, I, I want to talk about uh, science and faith and uh, as it has to do with the environment, uh, just the world that we live in and the world that we're passing passing along. Um, I, there is science out there about the LGBT issues, um, and we need to talk about that. We need to, we need to talk about that um, from the from the standpoint of of what is some what is some recent research that's out there. Um, uh, very, very recent research that's out there, and th that, and, and this this isn't this isn't like a an end around to. Uh, there's not a punchline to any of this. It's just a it's just a we need to have we need to have intelligent conversations about things. We need to have polite conversations about things, and we can't have intelligent and polite conversations by just sticking our heads in the sand. Um, I want to talk about music. Uh, I've asked Cole and Savannah if they would help um, because I think that there's something inside the human heart uh, that comes out as music that begins as mathematics. Um, and it will, if we can do that, it might be the quietest class that we've had. So <laughs> I have an ulterior motive. <clears throat> um, and then uh, Steve and George Parks and I and a few, a couple other folks are, are presenting at the Christian Scholars Conference uh, at Lipscomb in June, and I thought it might be a good way to end class to just talk about sustainable missions from a scientific standpoint, um, maybe a rehearsal for what we might be presenting, since at some point we need to pull together what we might be presenting, right? Um, so that's, uh, all that's fluid, but um, I, I, I sort of felt an obligation to, to uh, put some structure to it anyway. Okay. <clears throat> science and faith in the in the New Testament. And there is a there's a, a science in the New Testament and let's assume that there's some faith in there as well. Um <clears throat> okay. 
I'm going to flash up a few scriptures that I didn't cherry pick because it's just it's all over the New Testament. No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son who is himself God and in closest relationship with the Father has made him known. The Son is the image of the invisible God the firstborn over all creation. He who is blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone possesses immortality and dwells in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. For since the creation of the world, uh, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so they are without excuse. Um, we see the common thread in those, and I, and I could have put up a hundred more, but what's the common thread that you see in there? Seeing God. Seeing God. It's, um, it, and listen, this is a place where I think that we can, we can ask questions and we can say things that, uh, we can just say things without, that's a problem for me. That's a, I mean, it's a hang up for me. I, I mean, I, I, I'm an observer. I want to observe. I, I, I when, when, when Paul and John when Paul is writing to Timothy and reminding him that, that there's an unseen God out there, I feel like he's writing to me saying, listen, there, you need to remember there's an unseen God out there. Um, uh, no man has seen or can see. Um, and that's, that, that's hard. That, that is hard for me um, to, to, to have faith in that. It just is. And, and, and I think if we can say that out loud, it helps a little bit. Um, but it, it is hard for me, and, I, and and many of my friends who are who are not people of faith, uh, that's that's one of their big hang-ups. Is uh, well, I, I I've never seen God, and 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 even if even if uh, even if God did want to be seen, why 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 would a God not choose choose not to be seen, right? Um, was it Moses that saw that was told you cannot see me because you can survive? Yeah. And but if you hide in this little cave and an owl pass by, you can see my back. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to put you in a rock. Now how how does that? Well, I line I up with these scriptures. Well, I think so the, I think the passage out of Moses out of Moses the passage uh, out of Exodus I think it's thirty three where that is is so beautiful because it's just a it's an ancient uh, Hebrew insight into how how they viewed God working which is I know God's working I know God's here but I won't be able to see that God was here until he's af until after the fact. Or could it be that he was saying you can't see me in my glory? Yeah. Yeah, it could be. He's not saying he, you can't see me. He's saying you can't see me in my glory. You, you can't. Because when Moses came down after he got that, just being in the presence of the glory of God, the Jews said, the Israelites said, please cover yourself. Yeah, because he was all. He can't stand the glory. He was all. Because Abraham saw God. So, yeah. Yeah. So, so what would that Isaiah be? Isaiah saw God. 
So there yeah. were people who saw God. Yeah. Why don't we now? He's radioactive. <laughs> because, he has, because he has loved us. That, I think that's exactly right. I mean, and, and I think that is the argument that Paul winds up making in Acts. I think, I think that's, it's a problem for me, but that's where I get right there. That's where I get right there. And I, to me, it is troubling on a physical sense and comforting on a spiritual sense that what could not be seen physically is something that, uh, that can dwell inside of me and inside of you and inside of people that I disagree with and inside of people that I love. Um, but yes, I, that, that is where I get. And I, I, but I, I, Paul was talking to people, the New Testament was talking to people that this was, uh, this was quite a leap for them uh, because they were very tangible God people. They were very tangible God people. Um, <clears throat> theology of Bigfoot, but but that wasn't on your bingo card for today. Um, uh, you can all you can generally tell what what movies I flip by when I'm going through class. Harry and the Hendersons was on. Uh, uh, it has a it has a little throwaway line in there that is that is just beautiful, um, where they're trying to con- one one person is trying to convince another. Of course, there's big Bigfoot out there. Of course, there you, you need to have faith. You've seen hundreds and thousands of pigeons, right? Yeah, of course. But nobody's ever seen a baby pigeon. Nobody's ever seen a baby pigeon. But you know they got to exist. But nobody's ever seen a baby pigeon. Um, I feel the same way about Bigfoot. But I also feel the same way about. <laughs> I feel the same way about God, as well. Uh, I got a hunch that he exists. Um, that's what. That's what Harry and the Hendersons look like. I need to take a quick sidetrack. You know how when your when your internet browsing is uh, ha- has various things that you have searched for, um, and then the the, the uh, algorithms that say you might be interested. I'm going to put this advertisement up for you. It's kind of creepy that oh it knows I've been searching for for these things. I have to show you what came up on my computer. <laughs> View Christian singles in Bigfoot. <laughs> this is a screenshot of my computer from my night. Single Christian women in Bigfoot, Texas. Um, I was like, I hope Ginger doesn't walk in. But it's it's hilarious because you can see the tab browsing. I was I was reading up on Gamaliel and Aristotle and uh, Seneca and the Epicureans and everything, um, and so somewhere in there, it said, there's a there's a really weird lonely person <laughs> searching for single Christian women in Bigfoot, Texas. <sighs> it's a terrible world we live in. <laughs> Were you in Bigfoot, Texas? No, but I I've never been I've never been more tempted to click on something like that. <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> okay, uh, we're, we're, uh, I don't know if we'll ever get back from that, um, but <clears throat> Paul grew up here, uh, he was born here, he studied here, um, here is at the Greek civilization at the time, um, uh, he was an outsider, uh, everything that Jesus did was right 
right around this area down here. Uh, he, he had a, a <coughs> European-Asian uh, perspective on things. Socrates <coughs> lived about the same time as Malachi. Um, Socrates had a student named Plato. Plato had a student named Aristotle. Aristotle taught Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great conquered uh, Persia, uh, uh, conquered the uh, uh, Palestine, uh, and that's why the New Testament was written in, uh, much of the New Testament was written in Greek. <coughs> Aristotle had a quote, uh, those with outstanding virtue against, against such things there is no law. Paul had a similar quote about the fruits of the Spirit, against such things there is no law. Plato <coughs> had a quote in his dialogues, now if death is like this, I say that to die is gain, for eternity is then only a single night. Paul said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Plato said, the hour of departure has arrived and we go our separate ways, I to die and you to live. Which is better? God only knows. <coughs> um, and that Plato is ascribing that to his teacher Socrates. Paul said to Timothy, I'm now ready to be offered and for my time, and the time of my departure is at hand to be with Christ, which is far better. Socrates, to begin with, our several natures are not all alike but different. One man is naturally fitted for one task and another for another. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. Um, Paul used Greek uh, references, and he used Greek reason uh, to speak to us. Um, and I think that I think that we are better because of it. Uh, that's a that's a marker at the Areopagus in Acts 17, um, where Paul spoke. And we won't have time to read all of this, but Acts 17 is worth reading again and again and again um, because it's where Paul goes goes up and he says, "I have seen you've got a you you have a uh, altar to an unknown God to an unseen God." So let me tell you, let me tell you about that unseen God. Let me tell you about that unseen. And I think the, the way that Paul flips the <coughs> script on them, where, where he says, I see you reaching out, I see you making the statement that there has to be something that we don't know and there has to be something that we don't see. Let me fill in a blank for you. Let me fill in a gap for you. Um, I, 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 I think that is a very healthy template for us to follow when we're having discussions about science and faith. That, um, that it is so sad to me that people like Carl Sagan, who I think is a genius, and people like um, uh, um, oh man, why am I spacing his name? That's embarrassing. Um, had ALS. Hawking. Yeah, that's embarrassing. Um, yeah, Stephen Hawking. That, that you have these great minds uh, who have insights that we none, none of us could ever could ever do could ever have, and yet they've got this blank. They've got this blank in there, um, and so many of our friends and so many of our coworkers have this blank in there. And and to be able to go to them and say, let me fill in that blank. Let me let me fill in this ether. Let me fill in this 
altar to an unknown God, and, and let me let me talk to you about these things that you feel that there must be something there. Let me tell you that there is something there. Um, the, the Bible goes, it says he reasoned in the synagogue. He sat down and he, he had a, by, by definition, it would be a reasonable conversation with people. Um, and I don't have time to talk about the Epicureans and the Stoics, uh, and I'm not an expert on that. Um, but the, the, the science of the day uh, where, where people were starting to realize that we can describe things, we can look at this natural world, and we can describe things uh, that way, uh, had a profound impact with, with how people described these supernatural things as well. Um, and I do think it's kind of funny uh, that says, all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking and listening to the latest ideas. And it's like a bunch of people wasting time just arguing about things, right? Um, but they were important conversations. But it just seems, the, the parent... Anytime I see something in the Bible in parentheses, I'm like, I wonder why they put that in parentheses. Um, <clears throat> found an altar with the inscription to an unknown God. Uh, I feel like, I do feel like we uh, still do that sometimes. That we, we, we find altars to an unknown God all the time. Uh, interestingly, uh, he, he goes back and he talks about creation. The Epicureans were children were studied under Democritus, who had this crazy idea that the world was made up of atoms, atomos, um, which is where our atomic theory started. Um, but it was random. It was a random thing. And uh, Paul says, eh, let's, not, let's not leap to the conclusion that it was a random thing. Um, it, it, I, got, I went way down a rabbit hole looking at, uh, at, a, at a guy named Seneca, who wound up being an advisor to Emperor Nero, who fiddled while Rome burned and persecuted Christians, but Seneca wound up defending Christians and, and uh, was forced to commit suicide, similarly to how Socrates was back a few, few centuries before that. Um, <clears throat> but he's quoting many, he's quoting Seneca. Uh, he's using their words back at them. Uh, and when he says, uh, for, for in him we live and move and have our being, some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. He's quoting uh, a Stoic poet when he says that as well. Um, when they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered. But others said, we want to hear you again on that subject. And I think a lot, awful lot of science and an awful lot of faith boils down to that right there. We want to hear more about that. I'm gonna, even if I sneer, I want to hear more about that. I want to hear more about that. <clears throat> um, all right, I'm going to I'm going to do this in one minute, and then then we'll go. This deserves a lot more conversation, and and I haven't worked this all the way through yet. The temptations of Jesus, um, I don't think were random, uh, and I, and the way that he answered the temptations, I don't think were random either. The second one has, has always been very interesting to me because it is asking, it, the devil is asking Jesus to basically just be supernatural. Do, do a miracle. Throw yourself down, fly away. Um, they'll lift you up in their hands. Uh, you say you're all powerful. Uh, prove it. Um, show that the laws of gravity don't apply to you. And Jesus said, don't put your Lord God to the test. 
he's referencing Deuteronomy 6.16. Don't put the Lord your God to the test as you did at Massa. And Massa was in Exodus. People quarreled with Moses, and they said, give us water to drink. And Moses said, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and people complained against Moses and said, why did you, why did you bring us out of Egypt to, to, just to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? Why did you bring us out of darkness? Why did you, why did you bring us out to freedom? Um, are you just going to leave us here? Don't put the Lord God to your test. Don't put the Lord your God to the test. And I don't think that I don't think that what Jesus is saying is that don't put the Lord to the test. Um, don't put the Lord to the test because He doesn't like tests. Don't put the Lord to the test because uh, because He might fail them. I think it's don't put the Lord God to the test because you design the test. And you may not like the answers that you get of a test that you design. Um, if you are the one making out the test, and you are the one grading the answers to an omniscient, omnipotent being, you may not understand the answers that you get. You may not like the answers that you get. Do not put the Lord God to your test. I'm saying this for your benefit, not for God's benefit. God's pretty big. He can handle this. But your brain, your humanity your flesh, your blood, you're going to be better off not doing things like, if I pray a prayer just like this, you're going to make me healthy. If I pray, if I do these good things, then X plus Y equals I'm, I'm going to get the job that I wanted. Um, and, and I think that that's an interesting concept I think our faith is at its weakest when we put our Lord God to the test and we state a hypothesis and then we test that hypothesis and then we draw conclusions about the results of that um, in a very scientific method sort of way and we just kind of ruin it um, when we do. <clears throat> um, it, that's a discussion that probably warrants a whole year of trying to work its way through. I wanted to talk about... How, I wanted to just plant the seed here for the next couple of weeks that um, the roots of discussions about science and faith, we're, not, we're by far not the first ones to have this discussion. Obviously, we're not the, ones to have, the first ones to have this discussion. But I think that Paul was actually having these exact same discussions with people about there's stuff that you don't know uh, and there's stuff that you cannot know. Um, but let's talk about... Let's talk about uh, uh, the, the faith that we have uh, and, and move forward from there together. So with that, we'll kind of move move on into a little bit more church and faith history uh, next week and see where that conversation leads us. So anyway, thanks for coming.